citizens of the verse today is march 8th 2953 and welcome to another episode of citizen cast we're a star citizen podcast here to discuss what's going on in the game and its development i'm your host way too geeky and i'm joined by the ever intrepid always on time seagard olsen hello seagard hello from the deck of the uss intrepid <laughs> so seagard um you know, I haven't talked to you in a week. <laughs> How's your week yeah. been? What have you been up to? It's been, uh, I've been kind of quiet on the game, but uh, I did play some over the weekend and into the early part of the week. Nice. Work. Um, watch TV. I'm getting, you know, I watch uh, just some pretty good shows, good characters. Uh, some of the old Downton Abbey, you know, for you. Oh, I love Downton Abbey. It's really, I do like it, I have to admit. It's, it's like surprisingly it. good. I don't usually like period pieces. I don't know why. Yeah. But um, one, I think, because they they tend to lean into the experience of the of the um, the actual servants instead of the nobles. Yes, they they do deal with both, but it seems yeah. to be a little bit more servant driven, and also just like so many good actors, especially Maggie Smith. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, she really is. Her comments are just outstanding. I mean, the one-liners are just great. Sarcasm um, is rolling off of her. Yeah. (coughs) Have you uh, gotten to the episode where they get the telephone yet? Oh, yeah. It's so funny. (laughs) Who's ever going to use that? (laughs) Um, Have you been watching The Last of Us at all? I, I did. I just started. Oh, it's it. so and, good. Uh, it really is. Uh, it really and the Mandalorian's is. back. My goodness, yeah. so many good things. I haven't watched this. I haven't watched that. And well, the other one I like is Picard is back. Oh yeah, and it's it's the best of the three so far. And that kind of was okay. Doesn't it have all the next generation? Well, most of the next it generation does. cast. It does, but it's all they're in their new. They're in their second half of their careers, right? Mm. They've. You know, Rick Picard's been retired for 20 years. in their years. next generation. <laughs> yeah, they're their next generation, right. And then whenever they get on a starship, you know, one of them has a kid that's doing something on that ship or a grandkid that's doing something on the ship. But, oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very different. It's, Excellent. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of good action and some really good, you know, fight scenes. So I like that. I'm really, uh, I've been watching, you know, the... Waiting for the second half of uh, nineteen twenty three Yellowstone. So, oh yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I've only watched a couple episodes of that. I I watch it with my dad sometimes, just because he. Yeah. It's one of the few things that we can actually watch together. That yeah. he, for some reason, my dad, he's eighty two years old, and um, my poor sister, because he lives with my sister, and they haven't. They're building a house, and they haven't finished his room yet they're building a right. pretty big house so they have him they have him set up in his in their pantry because their pantry is big enough for a bed and everything and oh. i figured that would be easy because it's right near the bathroom but he watches tv on the because he can't really do much he's not right. very mobile he watches tv on their big screen tv which is in their great room their living room their dining room their kitchen and the only thing he watches is Movies that involve someone being sex trafficked or kidnapped. Uh, 
And I swear to God, he's seen every Steven Seagal movie and somehow he keeps finding more. <laughs> it's insane. So, and I was in Connecticut this weekend with family and it was like, uh, hence why I wasn't in the game plus, you know, 318 waiting for that. Um, yeah. But, so that's, he, he found that's some more. Tomorrow. Yeah. And we, we forced him to... Uh, we forced him to watch a comedy, and then my sister and I stopped watching it and started drinking yeah. instead. Did your <laughs> Did your father watch The Expanse? No, he's not into sci fi. Okay, because the you know there's an Expanse video game coming out. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh, nice. I am literally yeah. the only sci fi person in my family. No one else likes it. Really? Yeah, my older brother likes Star Wars, but he doesn't watch sci fi now. He might watch The Mandalorian. Right, but like I'm the only one. I'm the I'm the only one who watches Marvel movies. I'm really the only geek. My twin's a geek, but he's like more of a sports kind of person. Right, he's more of like a. Keep forgetting you have a you have a twin. Right? I do, I do. We're very different. Um, so I haven't done anything in the verse myself. Uh, well, I, did, I did some. I did some. I put, nice. actually, you know, what I did. It was real fun the other day. I got on with Ohm. Um. That you may, I think you know who he is, and mm-hmm. he gets he also he also has a call sign Havoc too. Um, but yeah, we you know I just rode around and I was trying out getting my voice pack, uh, HS voice pack, and like my old mm-hmm. quest to get it to play into the game. And I actually did get it to work with uh, at least at one point, not with Ohm, but with someone else. And uh, I got it to work, and voice mod was working, and my characters would answer back in clear voices and. And hear them in the game, so it was kind of fun. But I, I just flew around with Ohm checking my comms, and uh, it was it was a good time. We picked up some cargo, dropped off some cargo. Um, I think we went through and did we did a ground uh, ground clearing thing, and it was fun. It's about an hour, maybe an hour and twenty minutes, hour and thirty minutes, but it was nice. nice. Just flying around in a in a, uh, in a freelancer max. So excellent. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, why don't we catch up with what's been going on in Star Citizen content this past week? Uh, we had a fantastic Inside Star Citizen last week, at least I liked it, um, where we got to see a white box tour of those new underground facilities that we first heard about in uh, at CitizenCon. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea here was the facilities should really encompass encompass every type of gameplay that you can find in the game. Um, within Star Citizen. And at first glance, you could see these facilities are enormous. They showed off uh, one that had two big hangars as well as a landing pad on the top, uh, which is where they got off. Uh, They entered this really expansive lobby space, huge skylight, large windows. You could see another huge um, underground facility miles away (laughs) from the windows and then yeah, like, a, took, like a sister one. Yeah. yeah. And and so the whole idea, and, and I think people who saw CitizenCon know this, like the that upper level is really sort of like the corporate offices and reception and sort of like where where maybe right. if you're new to whatever um whatever org this is, you you're gonna be building your reputation there. But then there's elevators that go down deeper into like a cargo area and a huge, huge like cargo deck. Um uh, you know, we got to see like this really cool sort of like um, very industrial looking elevators that you can press a button and they'll go down, you know, just like our other elevators. Hopefully they work. 
Um, but you know, they're open so that you can see the whole journey down and it's this slightly angled journey down a huge shaft before you get to the bottom. Right. And, uh, you know, the, uh, they showed the cargo elevator, which is enormous moving back up. Um, you know, uh, we also got to look at some security checkpoints. They talked about how these facilities will have, you know, components and maintenance and all sorts of things that maybe you can mess around with if you're not the nicest player, as well as, you know, um, talking about different alternate routes that you could potentially take uh, if you weren't necessarily allowed there. So, you know, it was interesting, you know, considering it was a white box, usually white box is pretty hard to tell what's going on. You know, it was still pretty helpful to see. What were your thoughts, Sigurd? I really liked it. Um, yeah, it's, it, uh, I was I was I was kind of laughing because they call it gray box or you know white box, but in in reality, it's just probably as good as some of the games I used to play. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that I thought there seemed to be some kind of logical thought of how a facility would operate. Yeah, uh, with the lowest levels being a little more rough cut or into the ground, and there were some hidden areas you couldn't even see what was down there yet. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, there's an and the uh, the actual elevator is would be called an inclinator. Yeah, yeah. When they're slanted, when they come down at an angle, they're in- inclinators, not elevators. So that's ah. the word for the day. Well, it's just like and the. the uh, w- w- I was in Budapest and uh, uh, right before the pandemic, and they have the same thing that sort of goes up the mountainside. What's yeah. it called? Uh, yeah. uh, hang on. I'll uh, think of fog it. Fog railway? Fog railway? No. Uh, it was called uh, a folliculator. Oh, folliculator. Oh, fa- great name. Funiculator. Funiculator? Funicular? Funicular. Funicular. Yeah, they tilt the cars level at all times. They... Yeah, so you're level, but it's moving sideways, yeah? Or like kind of yeah. up. They also have like um, a gear mesh in the back that it, it grabs the the rails of the uh, like the ties. Mm-hmm. It actually grips on those to move it forward. Nice. Uh, they had that in Colorado. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, yeah, great, uh, great uh, walkthrough. Very big in the inside. I, um, very big, and we didn't even see all of it. I mean, we some of that play it. space is as big as like some of our landing zones playable space right now oh yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely um i you know yeah i would and i would say it's about three or four times the size of probably the showrooms where they do the you know the shows every year yeah three or four times that size but certainly an entire level like in the game Doom or something. I mean, it's... They're huge, know, yeah. They're huge. Huge. <clears throat> yeah. What are your thoughts in terms of like, you know, they mentioned a few elements of it, but like, you know, I saw some reaction videos and a certain salty person wasn't yeah. super excited about it because, you know, his feelings were, this is space, not gameplay. Um now, you know, 
I think ultimately he did uh, one of my comments to that video. I didn't act, I did comment on the video. I think I had said, you know, you're, you're talking about a different member of the team. He's a, he's an upstream team member, not a downstream team member. Like he's not the one creating the missions. He's the one creating the place to enable the missions. And he gets design briefs from mission designers to Correct. include certain things that should be there in order to enable a lot of flexibility with missions. But um, right. what do you think? Does it seem like a real flexible space? Yeah, I did think it was very flexible. Um, anytime I do look at these big spaces, though, I have to think that <clears throat> two types of scenarios that pop into my mind, obvious ones, are that large numbers of people are going to interact in them. Right. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a lot of it, either combat or a lot of espionage or some kind of activity in large yeah. numbers, um, as opposed to one person creeping through an entire environment with no one looking after them, right? mm -hmm. watching them or trying to oppose them. <clears throat> the other thing I think of is that um, it definitely can become a base of operations. Mm -hmm. um, but then at that point, there has to be so many missions in there that would drive you to come back there over and over again. Yeah. If it's, you know, if it's just a lot of moving stuff, that's great. Um, yeah. Does it scale? You know, yeah, this is the scale. It's This is the scale of, of what they're designing. You know, when you're thinking about it, we're talking entire planets full of people have to be fed or... Mm. use resources not only for themselves but they also have to have enough to sell for profit outside of the solar system yeah so you know they are stripping worlds here to do this um, yeah so the number of people at those sites i think will be much heavier most of those being npcs right 91 yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and um i think that's cool if they can pull that off you got shifts coming in and out and yeah. large numbers of people walking around and you're kind of blending in trying to get a mission done or you're trying to go down and find someone or whatever it may be that's you know that's the other thing am i trying to sneak in am i trying to just get there and find someone for information am i doing investigation yeah because i think that's a more likely scenario um as opposed to a giant army comes in there and takes on one of these you know numerous stations yeah. Uh, you have to fight them all off, right? I mean, I, I think I like the second scenario, the, yeah, the, the smaller, more focused activity missions better. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, I just think if, if what they've said about some of the other things is true or that they can pull it off, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, then I don't think there'll be much want for reasons to go there. You know, I think some of these places might be the only location to build rep within a corporation in the system that you're in, you know? Um, it also may be a way to have a regular job. Yeah. Right. You could be literally a mule driver inside the factory moving boxes. Yeah. You could be a rock miner in the bottom level rock mining for that company and you get a room to stay in um you get a place to park your ship 
I could see them buy repurp- things to sell things. Yeah, I could see them repurposing some of those to be prisons too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just definitely, I, I could see it being a security guard there, and people are you're trying to prevent people from breaking in, and you get a salary, right? You're not mm. getting paid by the mission; you're getting a salary, and you you know it's so many credits per day or per box or whatever. It's kind of like ratting in any other game or chopping yeah. lumber in. Something. This is a place where you can go make money. Yeah. If you're not into stealing, you're not into uh, you know going on your own. Yeah. You know, but, I kind of feel like um, right now what we have, if we could use like a making a meal analogy, right now they're building the table and the plate, (laughs) the areas in which to host the missions. And then they're writing the recipes, AKA how missions come together. And then, you know, it's sort of like a, once they do that, then they can have like a whole cookbook of different things. And, you know, they already have the ingredients prepared. It's just now you have put them together and make, make the meal. You know, I I feel like that's sort of like how it's going to, Obviously, this is a weird analogy now. Um, Mealtime yeah, with Geeky and, and Seaguard. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a buffet. Right now, it's a buffet menu. Uh, <laughs> in the future, it'll be a buffet with a lot of wax food, very little meat. Uh, but, uh, you know, I can, I, I can see having maybe one or two of these facilities in a world, on yeah. a world, right? Um, but I definitely could see saying, hey, this is why I want to start. My faction is going to be, you know, our corp mining. I'm going to be, I'm going to start here and there's things you can do every day. I can go be a rock driver down in the basement. I could be a mule operator. I could be a local shuttle pilot. Um, you know, things that would make you, you know, I don't know, 15000 an hour or something. I don't know what, you know, I don't yeah. know what it'll be. But what, uh... something that allows you to buy things after that, right? What do you think about um, one of the things that Salty Mike actually did bring up that was interesting, and I'm not sure how I feel about it in terms of its feasibility, but he did say, you know, it'd be really cool is if orcs can own one of these. Uh, I, I think, I think... You know, I don't think it would be. I think it's unfeasible. Mm. Okay. The reason being is there has to be some step from going from the smallest to the largest. What's the small version of this? What's the next level of this? What's the third level of this? To the point where you buy into one you know, with six trillion credits in the game, right? Oh, we buy one, right? Um, Unless you started with that much money, you wouldn't be able to have one built. And then what would be the build time for it, right? You'd have to be able to purchase it. So could you control it? Not if you're outnumbered nine to one by the NPCs. Unless you hire some. Right. If, you know, what, you know, what would a corporation do in the, you know, given, First of all, we'd scream for the Navy to come in and take mm-hmm. the factory over. <laughs> the Navy, the Marines, and the Army would show up and pretty much just blast everyone out of the world. 
or out, you know, out of the uh, location, and they take it back. Yeah, because uh, you would be the criminals. Uh, on the other hand, if you built it and you could buy it on your own, then you have to defend it. Yeah, against nine to one odds. But you're also uh, and, dealing with the same scenario that you know, much I, like anything else, you're in UEE space. Mm-hmm. Like right now, a player can get away with a lot more in Stanton than I think they'll be able to get away with easily in the future. Um, yeah. Because, because of the fact that the law system isn't fully baked yet. And part of that is because they don't want to penalize people too much because there's not sufficient amount of gameplay for pirates yet. I, so at least I think too. I think to set up an operation at one of these sites is very possible. Mm. You know, let's say you want to be in Oregon. You want to be um, the transportation people who move all the stuff out, mm. right? You can go queue up in line and start to move stuff, mm. right? You just got to outproduce what the other nine AI are doing. Yeah, and eventually maybe you could- you're have people grabbing the missions and the AI and the AI leave, right? So you become you take it over through. So you have to take if you're going to take one of these over. I think you have to take it over from within um, and through productivity or economics versus just buying it outright. Mm. Alternately, you know, in the end game, you should be able to explore for the perfect site, buy the blueprints, and then build one using your Pioneer or whatever outfit, you know, Pioneer or other equipment to do it. Um, These are not little, you know, five-room Habs in the middle of a planet doing nothing. Yeah. These are massive. They're not even like the homesteads that we'll be seeing in Pyro, even. You know, right. like those I see being more feasible, being able to construct a homestead like that. Um to me, yes. to me, the reason why I don't have I don't believe it will be given to players, or if it is, it'll be a long time out, is because I can't foresee an in-game mechanic to facilitate that. Yeah, in the sense that, at least right now, the idea is if we were to build some sort of a mining operation on a distant moon, you could do that, but it would be more like the little, you know, the the research outposts that we see now, or homesteads with mining equipment, versus a big dug in the ground thing. But I say that, but like you know, we can't build apartments right now, but down the road we won't be able to build apartments, but we'd be able to buy them or rent them. So who knows? Now, now one way you could do it, uh, which would be, I think it would be interesting, is have a mini resource game. So mm-hmm. in effect, you play the resource game at a strategic level, right? You're buying and selling and this, that, and the other. And then you buy a module mm-hmm. and you fly your Pioneer out, plant the module down on the ground. Mm-hmm. And then that module now appears on the resource game map. Yeah. And it's just one module. And then as you buy additional modules, it automatically constructs this site, you know, mm-hmm. section by section to the to the point where you get what you need. <clears throat> but you know, each level of construction is kind of like a city building up, you know, mini game at this point. Yeah. Uh but your resources are you know kind of counted from the actual game where you're flying the real ships. Um and your overall campaign map is more for your clan. They do a little bit of that in like system in games like um uh 
uh, World of Tanks and World of Warships. Mm-hmm. They have they have a uh, each clan can have a navy port, and you can build additional barracks, which give your ships a little bit of, you know give you a little bit better crews, or you can have a technology center, which give you a little bit better gun. Yeah, it's not significant. Um, and then you win the resources by actually fighting battles in your ships. They come back in the form of oil. So, you know, every victory gets you maybe three points of oil and it takes eight to build a building. <clears throat> so, you know, it doesn't significantly make you more powerful against anyone in the game, but it does show you progress at a campaign level for your own sake. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that would be very reasonable. Yeah. I, the other yeah. thing I thought of is like maybe you can rent space like if some of these facilities have refineries or factories, you might be able to rent space uh, for a period of time in order to craft things and or refine stuff. I was actually, that's what I was saying. When yeah. like you show up and take a delivery order, right? Uh-huh. You're bringing in one ship initially, but you can still do repairs there and you can still buy parts there at their local clothing or their mm-hmm. ship equipment thing. Eventually, you can bring in enough stuff to sell it to the store. Yeah. Right. And, uh, but you never take over the whole operation. You just get more powerful at that operation. Yeah. More, more people walking around, but there's still nine to one people there. Yeah. Yeah. Same like the work orders right now that we have. Um, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and the other thing is you can't just go in there and start shooting the security if you're part of a faction, right? I think that yeah. they bring in security from outside to just wipe you out. Yeah, and they'll just lock down the facility, I'm sure, in the end. Right. With something like that, right. you have to be real sneaky. Well, they did say, you know, the one thing I forgot to add in my notes that's interesting is they said right now they're working on two different overlays. So I would imagine one is the standard, you know, working facility, and then the other is if a pirate faction took it over. Or if it's derelict, perhaps. Right. So that yeah, was now that would that was be kind of interesting. Yeah, you can go in there and fight with them and occupy parts of it and fight with yeah. them again, and that'd be cool. Yeah, I would imagine we probably will see some of these in Pyro as well, like as locations to um, potentially infiltrate. Maybe, maybe for one of maybe you're part of maybe you have a rep with Xeno Threat and you have to go uh, take. You know, steal information from the fire rats. Right. So that could be interesting. Um, cool. Uh, lots of potential, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, very cool. Uh, Star Citizen Live had members of the VFX team initially. Um, you know, they mentioned how they're the ones that essentially deal with the pretty stuff. Uh, for example, particles, rays, blooms, and shadows. Uh, a lot of the conversation revolved around budget, right? So that particles and other VFX can look good, but also still be performative. Um, good word. They mentioned gas clouds being an example of this, although funny enough, I wouldn't consider them completely performative right now as they do have aliasing and such. Um, there's certainly a lot more considerations for the PU, uh, considering that it is a, a massive multiplayer game versus squadron. 
uh, where, right. you know, it's only one person. Uh, and then, you know, they did also mention, for example, you know, is it feasible to give players fireworks uh, that they can set off in the game because you know there's going to be players who just line up thousands of people and everybody set off fireworks and that can crash the server that you're on uh, in a moment's right. notice. So, um, That'd be fun, though. Really interesting stuff. <laughs> um, the second half was uh, with one of the producers who focuses on um, things like motion capture, but he's done a lot of different things at CIG. It was much more just a conversation about his background, his experience, kind of things that he's done. Um, so that was Star Citizen Live. Did you uh, happen to catch the whole episode, Seaguard, or what did you I, think? Uh, start, it's the longer one, right? The one on Friday? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch much of it, to be honest with you. I got caught up on some other stuff. Yeah. So I, I didn't. I'm not going to lie. I'm not into these Star Citizen lives lately. They're, they're less Q&A based, which is, it's fine, but it's just not keeping my attention as much as right. when there's a Q&A. Like, it's different when I can ask the vehicle team things. Or Lately, it's just been mostly sort of... What's your you background? Know, a little more background or about people. And, you know, I, I just don't... I'm curious why. Um, you know, and I have no idea why that could be. But right. it was all right. You know, this, I will say this. Inside Star Citizens have been good, though. So I'm not disappointed. I'm just like, uh, it's it's hard for me to watch the whole thing. I usually catch the uh, the uh, Nubifier recap because they're not really drawing me in that much. Um, and then even when they do, I check out. I start to just, like, drift and start reading Reddit or something. Um, this week... Uh, we're not going to have an ISC. We're actually going to have another Journey to 4.0 special. This time, it, it's a design brief episode focusing on the earliest approved blueprint for a brand new upcoming gameplay system. Last time we learned about investigations, what will it be this week? You'll have to tune in to find out. What? Any guess, Seagard? What, th- what are you hoping it is? Let's see. So it's an entire gameplay. Brand new upcoming gameplay system, yeah. I'm going to go with refining. Okay. I think that's a high potential. Yeah, but you were saying it's kind of the last time it was kind of like an entire new type of mission type, right? Yeah, but this said gameplay system versus investigation missions, so... It, I mean, it could ultimately end up being a mission I type. But. Be, I think it's going to be a, I think it could be refining. And remember, I saw that we looked at that picture, mm-hmm. uh, the gauges last time. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's one. Um, the other one that was interesting, and I read a little bit about it lately, was the engineering um, aspect of crew play. That's a good guess. I feel like that. I don't, in my opinion, I don't think it's going to be that. So here's, here's what I'm reading into at least because they're saying on the earliest approved blueprint, I think we've already gotten 
too many glimpses into aspects of engineering. That's just my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, for it to be a hundred percent that I think my guess would be data running is probably too similar to cargo hauling. Yeah. But it could be someone said bounty hunter V2. I think that's maybe because of the fact that they haven't really talked about like the tracking and all that stuff. And it is something that we think is on the horizon this year. Um, um, I think refining is a good. I think refining is a good, good um, guess. I, now, the other question I, I think about is like, what if it's um, something related to like, say it's, I don't know, is this a gameplay system? But I, or maybe even, I mean, exploration. Or what about jump points? This. What about jump point scanning? Oh, that could be. Journey but you need to 4.0. But you, well, you're right. But that you do need um, better scanners to do that. Yeah. On the other hand, I went through and looked at the roadmap the other day. I never, you know, I never really go in there. I normally just kind of mm. let you drone on and I fall asleep, wake up when you're done. And, but I actually dug around in there, and I was amazed at as I got, I switched to the view that I kind of recognize as the deliverable the view. Yeah, the deliverables and mm-hmm. the amount of things that are done, along with some other things I heard the other day, were really intriguing. I mean, there's yeah. some there's some things that were just they were done two months ago, and you go, "Well, we don't talk about that at all. That's a big deal." Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of that, I heard like a uh, I heard someone the other day in three eighteen on a video saying how they had run into a whole group of devs manning an Idris in the 318, um, what do you call it, the, when they, they stress test it. Yeah. Well, if they're manning an, an Idris, that means the interior's done. That means it's working. Yeah. So uh, the third thing I kind of followed on, I looked at that roadmap, was the deliverables for uh, Pyro, and I got into the section around jump points. Mm-hmm. And they were saying how they were almost done with basically the physical structures on either end. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the rings, if you've watched Stargate, right? You know, mm-hmm. what is it going to look like? Is there going to be a station there? Is there going to be asteroids floating around it? How are you going to find it? Um, and then they already had done the actual mechanic of going from one end of the tunnel, the, the wormhole, to the other end. And what they were finishing up was the graphical presentation of the wormhole. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, they're real close to having that part done. That's the only thing left. Yeah. And, you know, I would have I would have expected the graphics to be done, not the me- mechanism of it actually traversing the tunnel in yeah. real time, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I was kind of kind of oh. surprised by looking at some of the deliverables, how far along they have they've come. Yeah. Well I mean it's it's interesting too. Like I even just popped it up just to like if there were any interesting talking points that I could glean. For instance, like there are some things that we already know are on the roadmap 
that have the same ending point on the progress track that are already in release view that have the same yeah. endpoint on, on the progress tracker as the following things. Ready? Right. Um, uh, actor status tier two ends in June. What's actor status tier two, you might ask? Looks at a variety of new elements such as hygiene, NPC status tracking, multiple bytes, DNA integrity, medical insurance, cybernetic limbs, and cloning. Jesus. That huge. ends in June with the actor feature team. Now, granted, they may not implement it for 319, but right. chances are it's not far behind. You know, maybe it's 320 or, right. or 4.0. I don't think it'll be four. I don't think that we're going to get all these things in 4.0. You know, it's going to be a four point something. Um, uh, what finishes in May? Aerodynamic control surfaces. Right. I saw that one. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the Santaki Eye finishes in June. Correct. Supposedly. What finishes this month? AR and map marker system rework. Rework of AR and map marker systems to work with building blocks. Now, granted, that just means it works with building blocks. We don't know how that works <sighs> with us. You know, um, what else right. ends in June? Asteroid facilities. Right. Adding a new asteroid facility, adding new asteroid facilities to the persistent universe, handcrafted traversable areas offering different gameplay opportunities, both in the interior and exterior of asteroids. There's something about uh, angular asteroids also. Yeah. They're coming up with a new type of asteroid that's not just round like we're used to, but more angular yeah. Not sure why, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no joke. Physical hazard to your ship. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. And those are just like a few. Like the spirit right. technically um, is showing ends in June, although I don't know if it's the – might be a vehicle concept. No vehicle content and vehicle concept. So that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that. But cutting tier two ends then. Um, you know, I, I looked a lot into the audio section because they were talking, you know, they're generally near the end. Yeah. Quite a bit in the audio section being finished up. So, but yeah, I'm just stunned by when I started looking into the details and going deeper. Yeah. Like, wow, some of these chunks are pretty important. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and look like another thing, another couple of things that are coming at least or being worked on for like even end of q3 right life support tier zero um lockable containers so there's a lot of interesting things that may whether or not they actually end up in the the spot that they show that they're ending still really exciting stuff that's at least in the semi near future that was one of the remember i mentioned the engineering one of the things i read was ship's gravity that's mm-hmm. one of the things you'll yep, be able to I saw show. that too. That was a Q3 ended, <clears throat> I, I think. Yeah. They had atmospheres like you could um, change the composition may- of the atmosphere. Correct. And you could also evacuate the atmosphere uh-huh. from a room. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we've already seen that in concept. So, I mean, right. it's definitely coming soon ish. I would, I mean, even if it's not this year. Anything being worked on now, I doubt it'll be 
unless there's some sort of other technical barrier um, or unless they shelve it, you know, we'll see it within the next year, year and a half. Right. For the most part. Um, uh, and then the, uh, the star citizen live this week is actually, um, going to be with, uh, Benoit Bosager, the CTO and founder of turbulent. And oh, he's cool. going to discuss the growth of the game development studio in Montreal which is responsible for just a ton of stuff we're seeing in the PU, to be quite honest, which to me is exciting because it seems like that they really are like the PU team right now or the, the biggest PU team. The assembly line. Yeah. That's how I envision them is a lot of the, a lot of this CIG proper teams are building the tool sets and building the Mm -hmm. comp, the con, the, conceptuals but uh-huh. the assembly line is actually being run by turbulent so yeah. i imagine turbulent sitting down and working with a bunch of artists to drive you know fashions on each planet and clothing and you know all sorts of stuff well, what's also interesting they're building a ship team there too right um what's really cool to me is they're not just building things that are completely unique. They're also building things that could be procedural. So it's like this interesting mix of handcrafted locations that they seem to be able to crank out really fast and look really amazing. Like the, um, mm-hmm. the new wreck coming in uh, 318 with the Mercury star runner and the, and the 600 I. And then, uh, um, and they worked on the reclaimer wreck, like, you know, it seems like they're going to be doing some really cool things coming. Right. Um, and, and, you know, this, what it's been a year since they've been, remember when they were just starting to work on hospitals and all that stuff, Yeah. you know, it's only been a, a year or a little bit more that they've been doing stuff. And like, right. they've made some really notable locations in the game. Yeah. Well, they didn't, they used to make the, uh, the little items we got as part of the concierge and uh, subscriber. I don't know. I mean, I kept thinking that's where they got their start was building some of that stuff. I know that they built, they built Spectrum, they built, they did do that the website, correct. and that was the stuff that Benoit used to talk about. Right. Um, and now, like they're building everything from like some of the architecture responsible for server meshing, all the way through to like you know Siege of Warison. Hey, it's great. Yeah. So grow that studio because they seem to be really they seem to be really focused on the PU um, which makes sense I have a feeling that's because <laughs> Squadron's a while off still <laughs> really to be quite honest I think well, I we probably some of that too and they've they've made a lot of progress on some of that stuff yeah I I We're down to a couple chapters right I mean um, I would say a pessimistic ep- uh, estimate for me is like they start marketing it in a year and then it comes out a year after. I don't know. I think we'll see the first one before that because it's three, it's three parts. Yeah, but you need enough time to market the game and they've gotten yeah. specific investment for that. So, you know, they're going to do some, triple a marketing on it i have a feeling if they're gonna start i feel like we're gonna see this citizen con might be focused on squadron i have a feeling well, or we'll include a lot in of california 
Yeah. We'll see it live. I am 99% likely to go, FYI. Yeah. That's me. That, yeah. I'm exactly the same. In fact, my wife and I, were, she wants to go out there for other reasons, but uh, so maybe you and me getting drunk in the lobby. There we go. But, uh, I was thinking of going there and then like maybe like tying on a trip to like Baja or something. There you go. Yeah, you know, I, can't, I probably won't have that much time. But uh, I definitely would uh, want to do all the events. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the wife won't be doing those with us. Yeah. And then, uh, hit the bars, come back, stagger to the hotel. Yeah. If any Parlay House members are going, let us know. Obviously, uh, there's plenty of time. Well, or any listeners, too. We'll, maybe yeah, we'll uh, have a little like uh, meet and greet at one of the bars um, before, either beforehand or, you know, a Prepare brunch or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Set your expectations to low. <laughs> <laughs> um uh so as we talked about 318 and you you kind of mentioned it earlier but uh CIG has put a target out there uh, and the goal by the time you're listening to this um 318 may be live so they're they're targeting tomorrow it's hard to say they did say hey things can come up you know there could be issues that will hold it back but uh it, it's very rare for them to put something like that out there. So we may be uh, playing 318 this weekend, finally, in the PU. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Um, and speaking of roadmap, there was a, min- a little roundup that got released crazy late compared to normal. Um, not much in there, but I think I think you'll like one of the cards. I don't have had you seen it since I went live? Oh, okay. So in the release view. The following card has been added to Alpha 319. Um, the RSI links. Oh, it did. I actually saw that being wrapped up. Yes, I saw that. Yeah. But I saw it the other day. It was ramping up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So building, implementing, and balancing RSI's planetary rover, the links as an in-game vehicle. I think what's interesting is a lot of people have called the links the fancy Ursa, and CIG has said, yes, it is a luxury rover, but it is not the Ursa chassis. I was going to say, because in real life, if I had an Ursa, I would just take a Sawzall and just cut the roof off it and call it done. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a convertible. Or put a uh, glass dome on it, make it real light. Right. So I'm curious to see what it'll look like, and it probably will look pretty cool. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Now, what would be really impressive? What? If it had, if it had bunk beds in the back. I doubt it, <laughs> but you never wouldn't know. That be wouldn't that be cool, though? Yeah, you had a little kitchen area. You know, they've got smaller ships that, that have it. Yeah. So basically, you know, you could take it and go away from your ship for an extended <laughs> period of time into caves and stuff. Yeah. And then truck back. That would be great gameplay. I picture it being like a touring vehicle, considering it's coming with the. Uh, it comes with the. Um, you know, the, uh, Connie, uh, um, the fancy uh, one, uh, Phoenix. Yeah. The Connie Phoenix. So yeah. it probably will have like a nice giant sunroof or something cool. It'd be so, interesting. Uh, and then 
uh, on the progress tracker with this publish, we're adding additional Q1 2023 and Q3 2023 schedules for downstream and upstream teams, respectively. Maybe even some of the ones that I just noticed. Um, the following deliverables been added to the progress tracker. Additional derelict settlements settlements with both gameplay and social elements spread throughout the Stanton wilderness using the Rastar tool. So once again, just they're building out they're building out variations on the theme so that we can quickly spin up new locations, um, which is exciting. Uh, not that I prefer derelict settlements. I prefer, uh, you know, something. I wish they would put some colonial outposts on Stanton because they said that they were going to, and the derelict ones are colonial outposts, but I think they're holding off. I think they want that to be first experience with Pyro is my guess. So that is the roadmap roundup. And that brings us to tips and tricks, which I did. We did not receive any. So uh, Seagard, any tips or tricks that you want to tell the listeners? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things I found was that it, it, it's just something I tried the other day and it worked remarkably well. So I basically tried what you do in an airliner when you 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 start your descent. I just put my thrusters, not my throttle, my thrusters, my vertical thrusters. I reduced them as soon as I came out of quantum over the you know over the planet and was headed to my landings, my landings, you know place I was trying to go to, uh, you know, whatever mining facility it was. And I found that basically, it basically took me right to the altitude I needed to be at when I got to the landing ramp. So, uh, and the only thing I did, so the advantage is, is that you kind of descend on your way down like an airplane does, as opposed to flying directly down there and uh, coming in and hovering for a second and dropping in. Uh, it was a pretty effective way to do a, a landing, kind of like a sliding assault kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I all I did was I practiced a little bit. I got my ship, lifted it off, and I just used a throttle adjustment or the thrust adjustment to find out where I could reduce it to to start my drop. Mm-hmm. And once I marked that spot, I, then I actually quantum someplace and tried it and you know, it's 20 something kilometers out and, and just kind of adjusted my angle, just I kept my ship flat. And by the time I got to the landing spot, I was able to just kind of fly in nice and smooth and land. And I hit yeah. one end of the landing pad and slid right up to the middle. Nice. It was, like, it was like, wow, this is pretty good. It wasn't that even a jarring of a, a flight. I mean, it was our landing. It was actually pretty smooth. I'm, I'm, Sure, I will blow up 900 try- times trying to repeat that now, but it was kind of a cool little uh, cool little experiment. Yeah. And I think for dropship guys, it works really well because you can drop faster. Just what just... we need Seaguard to do, drop faster. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, and then you get the last minute, you can either hit your brakes <laughs> and increase your thrusters. Um the only downside I found to it was that when I did go to stop and try to use my thrusters, I had less power to stop with, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have any forward thrusters because you're about 50 or 60% thrust. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's it just something I tried. And, uh, nice. I suspect you could do the same thing at a 100% throttle and 100% thrust. But Excellent. Just fun. Something to try. 
Very cool. Um, I do not have any tips nor tricks, and that also brings us to... For science! Yes! <laughs> um, to which no one gave us any content for, so do you have anything for <laughs> yeah. science, Sigurd? For science? Um, I did be try testing the comms. <laughs> Yeah. So I talked a little bit about it earlier. So if anyone's out there using voice attack uh, and HCS voice packs, they are a blast. Um, you know, I just saw someone on DG360, I think his name is. Uh-huh. DG360. He reacts. I was watching one his of his videos. His videos are mostly reaction videos. Yeah. And he was, you know, showing someone who had two two voices going and, you know, he had a, like, I don't know, a pilot and a, or a science crew and you know, someone else with the two voices, you know. I typically run with like six. <laughs> I mean, I have a parrot, a dog, a cat. They fight. Uh, they, the science officer, bad mouths the first officer. I mean, it's it's kind of like a little gag routine running behind me, and I can hear in my headphones. Mm -hmm. uh, it's fun. It's fun. So uh, yeah, you can raise your landing gear, lower your landing. You do all those things. But I recently figured out how to play that into the game. So yeah, if someone's on the in someone's in my ship, they now can hear it. Mm -hmm. So you'll hear the parrot talking back to me and all oh, the comments, cool. right? So it, I'm still working the bugs out, but it's the first time. Is I that why just you're using the, your uh... my mixer, right? Yeah, the voice voice meter potato. Um, but I finally figured out how to do that stuff, and uh, and it was it was kind of fun. Um, so if anyone's interested in figuring out, I'll I'll tell you what I learned. Uh, just send me an email and or send me a, a text and in Discord or whatever, and we'll try to get you uh, set up because it is pretty fun. Um, so that was one thing I did, uh, and then I was trying to use voice meter in the game, and it works much the same way as the voice pack. You basically, I have to, you know, push the plus key on the number pad to communicate in the game, um, and my voice gets changed by voice mod to be a demon or whatever I want or a mm -hmm. space marine or an astronaut or a little Sally or whoever I want. So um, I'm trying right now to look at, um, I could not get the, uh, what is it? The Vive face tracker to work. Mm -hmm. I could get it to be recognized as a camera. That was easy, but it wouldn't um, pick up the right uh, drivers mm -hmm. and work as a face tracker. It just gave me kind of a garbled screen to look at instead of my regular camera. So I just found it wasn't worth it and sent it back. Mm -hmm. um, so now I'm going to try oh. using an avatar using some of the AI oh. software and just try to use an avatar and see if I can use that to make my face track a little bit better. Yeah. You know what's so interesting with the FOIP and the face tracking stuff? Whatever happened to the FOIP camera? Well, you know? yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the company, like, that, it was Faceware, was the company. Yeah, and they still exist, but they don't mention yep. Star Citizen anymore. Correct. Um, which is weird. They, you, wonder, they literally don't even reference them on their site. You, which you'd think they would because they developed Correct. a pretty interesting, they helped them develop a really interesting technology. Yeah. Um, so I don't know why. Like you don't even see 
you don't even see the company like you don't see cig it's right. one thing to not include the game yet since it's in development but it's like weird i, I, like, I, I mean, want to know the story really behind that i mean i i really like it you know i think of you know i looked at so much software for meta and then where they're you know, we're gonna make your avatar have lips move and eyes moving well freaking if if meta could be half of what star citizen is they would be rich yeah <laughs> We walk around and talk to each other all the time. Yeah. yeah. All of it. So it's, you know, it's kind of silly. Um, and the basic capability right out of the box is far more realistic um, than what I've seen in Meta. And I don't have to go buy $400 of additional equipment for my face. Mm. I wonder, like, do you think there might be some bottleneck for them doing additional work on FOIP and VoIP? I don't know. I, I have a feeling it's a it's a um it seems to me the next level of getting great performance out of face tracking to get rid of all the twitchiness mm-hmm. is not the cameras. The cameras are there already. You know, you can get a pretty basic camera that's you know three or four years old that, that'll give you the best performance that's required. Mm-hmm. The next level is actually the tracking of the points of your face. And I think what they've done is they've kind of taken a generic map and it tries to align the points to your face in a generic way. Mm -hmm. Um, And the only way to make it better is to actually put dots on your face using a makeup stick or something like that. Yeah. And I've, I'm I'm not there yet. I don't, I don't see myself running around with little dots all over my face. Yeah. Not for me, dog. (laughs) That's, that's me. Um, so I, yeah. that's, that's kind of where I think they are. Um, yeah. I guess we'll see how, how that evolves. I'm not too concerned with it. I think yeah. they'll want but, it to be but, polished. Yeah. It, and right now I'd say it's, it's a decent solution before, like you couldn't see my face. Now you can actually see that at least in 318, you can see my face moving and all that before you couldn't really see it face to face. It was yeah. really only for your own benefit. Yeah. Uh, so I like I like to be able to smile and look like Popeye. Yeah. Have my lip get swallowed. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that's the part that I'm like, huh? Oh, well, <laughs> well, it doesn't work well for me. Oh. <laughs> Ooh. I hit the button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's that time anyway. <laughs> right. I actually looked at working on another one the other day. It looked drum beat. What? I heard a drum beat on, on the radio the other day, and I was like, yeah, that's a really cool drum beat. It was a different way of... I used to play instruments way back in high school, but it just had a uh, a different way it was structured. And it mm-hmm. was kind of intriguing. I thought, wow, that beat really different. Huh. Anyway. Cool. Um, so your question of the week last week was what mechanism will drive us out of our armor and undersuits while in our ships or on a planet? Drowes said stamina, agility, hydration, etc. When it actually causes real consequences to my character's movement and gameplay. Uh, Psychosis said weight affecting player speed. Mr. Tim said... I already dropped my backpack and gun before I get into my captain's chair. 
If we had working closets on board to store gear and change into a flight suit, I would be sold. Um, you would too, Seaguard. That would be your, you'd totally do that every time. You'd be like, time to get my captain's uniform. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> CN. Just, you know, need a little scarf like a sailor wears on the back. Yeah, the neck exactly. Keep the tar off their jerseys. Exactly. Uh, CN Fries said, if weight affects player speed, considering I usually go around with two primaries, a pistol, my paramed gun, a multi-tool, ammo for my guns, and who knows what else in my backpack. Also, it drives me nuts how slow we are already. Um, S. Gateman said, Hurston Security roughing you up and confiscating items at the security checkpoint if you bring weapons or armor in. Um, Mavros said, basic hygiene, question mark. Jim Jangles said, can't sit in your pilot seat without having to remove armor. Undersuits only with some kind of G liquid connection. Um, I do think, I do think light armor also fits in pilot seats. FYI. Um, Genly annoyed said, crap, sorry, a weekend behind LOL. I think it would be. So this is last week's was about traffic um, and, and AI. So I said, uh, I think good. it'd be very important to have added traffic. If you're interested in, the smuggling of cargo, you would most likely need sheep to hide amongst to at least give a chance of not being interdicted 100% of the time. Some function of capacity for security forces to inspect and taking advantage of areas where these capacities are exceeded could give a great Very opportunity good. to slip past even a well-protected systems monitoring. Some real cat and mouse play opportunities. And they said, okay, now on to this week. I would think that reputation and perception would be some interesting facets there, which is exactly what I was thinking, Jen Leonoid. So glad we're on the same page. Perhaps running right. around in your armor all the time could have security more attentive to your activity, uh, perhaps even to the extent that certain areas are not accessible to those in armor. He spelled it the Canadian way. So he said, yes, I'm Canadian, LOL. Um, you know, with, <laughs> with the U in it instead of, Oh, okay. Quite frankly, generally annoyed. It's not the it's not just the Canadian way. It's the American way is the only one that spells it the other way. Because <laughs> um, we don't care. That's um, right. <laughs> we gonna do our own thing. Uh, being in casual and appropriate attire could help wary NPCs not feel as threatened. I like to walk around station side in civvies just so I could blend into a crowd a bit and watch other players run through. I haven't even lined up in rank and file after a server reset to stay under the radar. Oh, I've even lined up rank and file <laughs> after a server race reset to stay on radar. That's a little creepy, gently annoyed, but I love it. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty good. Like a stormtrooper in normal clothes. Right. Um, Skyguard1 replied to Jim Jangles, Ooh, that might be interesting gameplay in general. They could have specialized armor sets for piloting ships, more expensive for variants that could do ground combat, and in only uh, and only useful in specific situations for the cheap stuff. Uh, system the system could make physicalized damage even more interesting. Reminds me of the Expanse. Everybody with our Expanse, you know, we love the Expanse. Yeah. Um, Retour for Mentor said, actor status, 
V3 will invariantly bring an itch meter that will fill up until you scratch your back again. Jokes aside. Well, you know, <laughs> okay. kind of, I was almost thinking of that. Something that's <laughs> after a while, you, you know, you start losing your vision, your vision, you have to blink a lot more. Uh, you get twitchy, fidgety. Yeah. Um, he also said jokes, vision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he also said jokes aside, agility and stamina, as well as the need to power up your armor and refill it with EVA fuel will likely play a role eventually. Right. Um, as well as oxygen. Don't forget. Um, Mach three generic first, I'll list what I consider to remain possible, uh, mostly to prevent immersion breaking constraints. The ability to enter a seat while wearing heavy armor, and he used the non-American way, of course, because Mach 3 is not from the U.S. of A. Uh, the ability to steer, uh, pilot and steer a vehicle, basic interaction with the vehicle. With that out of the way, here comes the gist of it. It should be beneficial to wear optimal flight wear compared to using bulky gear in the cockpit. While the player must be able to get in a seat to escape certain, a certain situation, there should be a penalty for it. Uh, not being able to enter a seat just because you wear armor would be just bad design or feel artificially limiting. So here's what I propose. Wearing armor should be debilitating in the cockpit, whether it be a high force reaction being applied to the pilot during maneuvering, such as combat, causing their aim to be less effective due to due to a view that shifts around more, to even hijacking and very slightly altering mouse movement inputs. Uh, as suggested above, a quote-unquote itch could actually be useful. An increased amount of involuntary movements due to unease of the heavy gear. This I should, however, uh, this I should, however, be limited to relaxed flying situations. We know CIG intends to have actor, the actor physically press buttons in the cockpit in the future. That, however, requires the actor to be able to reach them. Certain armor, while intended to protect the user during combat could be limiting in their movements and prevent the actor from being able to reach the position. Uh, and don't forget fat fingers. Um, <laughs> you right. shouldn't be punished for getting to a, sh you shouldn't be punished for getting into a, sh getting to a ship, getting a ship in a stressful situation, but that doesn't mean no penalty should be applied. You should have been more prepared with either a dedicated pilot or being crippled somewhat in your, Original, if your original plan didn't survive its encounter with a hostile force, Jim Jangle said, I think the workaround to stressful situations requiring getting into your pilot seat as quickly as possible is the hotkey swap out of gear or outfits. Well, that does break the immersion idea of physically having to interact with the closet, it would promote the use of different outfits instead of always running around in your heavy armor. I think not being able to sit in your pilot seat with heavy or even medium armor makes sense. Can you imagine trying to get in your Porsche with a mechanized battle armor on? Same idea would go for most of the ships we have available to us. The seats are just not big enough. It could also allow for seat customization option that is designed for specific armor types. Um, I especially think about like the fighter ships like you're not going to be right. in a gladius cockpit in in heavy armor or medium armor. The light armor makes right. sense to me because if you look at the fingers on light armor, it's more of a glove with plates around the arms, typically. Right. So that to me makes more sense than you know some of these other scenarios. 
Um, Noble said, much like what everyone everyone here has already echoed, seats that won't accept armor. I don't think a comfortabil- comfortability buff is something that would be fun to deal with in-game. Something to remember is that we are citizens of the stars. Wearing a suit, be it Magflex or whatever, is and should be nothing new to us. What would be funny is to see NPCs shaming players for strutting around in a whole-ass suit in an environmentally controlled rest stop. The days of open vac landing pads are more or less behind us. Players want to show off their dope pixel drip. The I wasted so much of my life running the same bunker a hundred times to get a sweet bra with a cape. <laughs> Sadly, these knock folks... it you try it, man. <laughs> Sadly, these <laughs> folks will remain, procreate, and populate popular places where eyeballs can see them. In regards to ships or vehicles in general, the only way to get people out of suits is to limit what can be equipped when you choose to take a seated position, or as previously stated by some here, have penalties for wearing armor when getting into a seat, like major ones. I'm thinking gameplay loop here. You find a bunch of Origin fanboys trading hair bun knot tying techniques in orbit of Microtech. (laughs) (laughs) they don't know what a gun is you swoop in and introduce them to diplomacy by other means you disable the ship and do a boarding action after them throwing after them throwing fidget spinners and frantic requests to speak to your manager you decide you want to fly away with their ship but you can't you're in an armored suit that's where the loop kind of ends if there is a hard no on armor in pilot seats. I'm sure a balance will be made at some point. Uh, once again, folks, the CIG at least has clearly stated many a time that only light armor uh, will be able to sit in seats. It, and it's not like you can't take armor off. I mean, yeah. you could take armor off and put it on the ground in a box or in a closet yeah. or whatever, um, it's, which puts you in a suit, like a, a regular old um, light suit, right? Yeah. But then it makes uh, which I think that, oh, that makes sense around a uh, you know having it on board a ship if you think you're going to be in kind of dangerous areas something that can give you some kind of safety from immediate uh, what do you call it evacuation of the air from yeah. a, a section of the ship you know I almost think like the Hurston bag thing over your head is more mm-hmm. like an emergency type thing until you can. You know, stabilize the pressure in that section yeah. and get a real helmet on. Yeah, um, almost like it would be an inflatable collar that kind of pops up and covers your head. Yeah, I even thought, um, from my perspective, I thought one of the ways is purely by the coolness factor. Um, you know, I went and looked at all the different types of armor out there for regular people <laughs> now, and the stuff is pretty cool looking. I mean, mm-hmm. it it it's you know you can have you can have a flak jacket, right? Which doesn't really stop a bullet worth of crap. It actually can cause worse damage. Um, the bullet can cause worse damage because it changes the shape of the bullet, and makes the imp- the area covered or penetrated bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, um, it will stop shrapnel from hand grenades and things like that very, very well and blunt force trauma. Um, a bulletproof vest, kind of like what a police officer wears, will stop a bullet. Mm-hmm won't necessarily stop a knife. Yeah. But it's pretty effective at what it does. Doesn't mean you're not going to break ribs, right? You're going to break ribs. Then you have then you have a third type, which is called the plate carrier. Mm-hmm. 
which sometimes they're they are just set up you know lower end ones are just lay, layers basically kind of a canvas carrier for a, a ceramic or metal plate that goes in the front of your chest and back um pretty heavy the ones i originally wore in Bos or in somalia but they had, you know, ammo pouches and things built into them. And then you have your whole weapon vest, which is nothing more than a, it's like a nylon mesh vest that would go over, it could go over a flak jacket. <laughs> yeah. It could go over a flak jacket. It could go over a, a bulletproof vest. It could just go over your shirt. But it had pre-built in pockets for ammo and, you know, basically magazines of ammo and first aid pouches and um, all sorts of other little goodies you might need in a moment's notice, flashlight rigs. Uh, but all of those would be extremely useful to get into smaller places, mm. right? Versus a big, heavy armor guy who's capable of carrying a shoulder-mounted railgun, right, or a rocket launcher. Yeah, I think that you know, to me, that seems exactly where heavy should be. But they should be much more. They must be. They should be much harder to kill right now. I think. I think they're a little too easy to kill. Yeah, I, and. I think part of that will come same with everything else. Physicalized damage is going to apply to armor too. I think this, the interesting part is this will definitely make a case for, you know, some missions that you think you're going to need heavier armor. You may, or if you just prefer heavier armor, you may need to fly a cutty in instead of a gladius because you could at least stow the armor. Correct. Um, whereas the Gladius, you can't. The other thing I looked at the armor, uh, a lot of the armor, you know, comes with a jetpack, right? Basically for maneuvering in space. Uh-huh. But not all of the armor is for space. It's, yeah. you know, there's only one suit of armor, which is the, it's from Bark Defense Systems. It's the very kind of like the Master Chief looking one. Mm-hmm. Um, that one is actually made for the Marines. So if you think of space Marines, right, they would be mm-hmm. in space boarding ships. And I know, Hamar, you're loving this stuff right now because he's an ex-Marine. He, well, mm-hmm. once a Marine, always a Marine. I apologize. Uh, you know, that suit I could see being very useful. But again, it's surplus. It should be a little glitchy, maybe a little bit behind the times. And again, do you really want to wear it on a ship all the time? Probably not. So I think you mm. jump down into some kind of everyday uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think you could take some of those other systems like those, you know, plate carriers and open-faced helmets um, and ammo pouch locations, even some different weapons, right, that don't cause damage to your ship. You know, imagine the scientific version of a beanbag gun. Because you don't want to destroy your ship. You want to fight on the ship and defend it. Yeah. Um, so, I you know, I think that uh, the coolness factor will make a huge difference. Uh, and I would hope that they would have that. And if you're on the ground and you're in the marine armor, it should be very useful. But if you're in the version that's only meant for ground operations, it should probably carry maybe a little more cost-effective and mm-hmm. just just as useful in the environment because you're not trying to fly between spaceships. 
and maybe you know maybe it's got more armor because it gives up some of the jetpack weight. Um, yeah, but I could definitely see the need, you know, for someone who wants to go around and have some protective gear on the ship for an emergency. But they need to be able to get into smaller places, like you said, and work with their fingers and um, use tools. <coughs> yeah. So that's what I'm hoping that they have done some of that research into regular styles of armor that's out there now, because some of it looks right out of science fiction. I mean, it looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed. <laughs> a I lot of like the the Morris, like was it the Morisov Morisov armor? Uh huh. And the um, Arden light armor. That would have been great onboard ship armor, right? It's just for inside the ship if you're defending your ship. You know, it's a totally different design than the hard shell guys, and it looks great. It's cool. Yeah. Um, it's got a cool factor, and maybe it does allow you to get into a seat because it's softer than a hard shell armor. A hundred percent. And then your fingers. I keep going back to the fingers because you know it's the same thing. I do, the the Arden armor always reminds me of um ultron <laughs> yeah it does it does yeah. Yeah. if ultron some... and spider-man had a had a baby yeah <laughs> yeah a little bit of spider-man a little bit of ultron or maybe even a little uh a little deadpoolish too yeah yeah but uh it is a cool set I, same thing i think maybe the one with the cape the um yeah both the right Great on the ground. I can see yeah. that definitely being kind of a stalker. You can maneuver. You can uh, walk very well on a planet with regular gravity and yeah, um, blend was, in and all I, that stuff. I feel like when they introduced bounty hunter armor at some point, you know, remember when they showed that off? Um, yeah, yeah. That it would be, you know, if there's a specialized armor set, I think that would be sort of a light armor because. You know, I think they want to make it so that the bounty hunter could quickly get out of the seat and still be protected. Right. Um, excellent. Now, Canuck said, me walking around in SC unless I'm forced to remove suit by game mechanics. And he took a picture from uh, Star Wars. I think the, uh, the uh, cantina scene where someone's pretty much in like full armor i couldn't tell from the picture if it was a <laughs> droid or someone it looked like someone in sort of like a full bounty hunter type armor okay. so uh those are all the responses to our to your question what's your question for this week seaguard see i'm getting good at remembering to ask it before yeah. we get to the so, end of the episode <laughs> so this was the other one i picked out last week excellent um, all right so this one is um how do you envision ship to ship resupply and which is, you know, refueling, repairing, rearming, food and drinks, basically uh, catering, occurring when the eventual appearance of a supply ship such as the Vulcan. I mean, is this going to be something you pull up alongside, fire a rope between each other's, you know, ports and cable lift pallets of stuff across? Or you're going to go ramp the ramp and, you know, a bunch of guys with tractor beams are going to, sail them across or you're going to be um, you know doing this all on the move or stationary uh, mm. are you going to go door to door and connect giant tubes and you know have a conveyor belt system that automatically loads all the ammo into the ship and you know in the right place in the right you know right way 
how do you guys envision it? Because I think like the Vulcan, it's it's got to be more than just a supply truck that shows up and says, hey, take all the stuff you need. The supply beam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We already know how we're going to do it on a planet, right? It's kind of, yeah. some of it's definitely going to be manual. But uh, I just thought that would be an interesting kind of discussion. Yeah. That is an uh, that's that is interesting. I'm I'm curious to see what people think about that because I don't even yep. know how I'd respond. Yeah, I'll ho- hey, hopefully you know, know by uh, next I, week. If if you you know if you're looking for kind of what I'm talking about, um, if you if you want a really boring subject, but there's a thing uh, from World War II. The German U-boats used to have a, what's called a milk cow, which was a German submarine to carry supplies and armament, including torpedoes, out to other submarines. So they used to actually, and they were really, they were really valuable to the Germans. So, um, you know, they they had, you know, stories and videos of how those things worked and how they actually did load everything by hand onto the ship. So, um, something to think about. I'm going to post it right now. Excellent. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so those are all the questions we already mentioned. Uh, we did receive a question, um, from Drowis, uh, and he said, do you think something like a one-to-one ratio would make backers more confident investing with CIG by them completing a backlog ship at the time of any new concept ship sale? So if I could refer reframe it rephrase it um in case anyone's confused do you think people would be more trusting of the backlog of ships and everything if whenever we got a concept sale we still got a ship that we've been waiting for versus right now where people don't really know when something old is going to come out or when something new is going to come out what do you think cigar um, I I get the idea is that you know they've made some promises and they need to fill in those promises, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I do get that. Um, I don't think that's. Um, I think I think yeah. I mean, there's great merit to that, and I almost like that idea, especially with the backlog. Mm-hmm. The one thing I would say, though, that is, you know, we always have to keep in mind this is about money, right? I mean, it, it is somewhat about Chris's dream and our dream and everything else, but it's a money, it's a money, it's a money maker. Yeah. Uh, right. So at, at heart, that probably will not happen. Um, but I do think the community as a whole could say, hey, we'd like to see the backlog reduced and, you know, let's prioritize some ships. And yeah, you know, let's have a let's have a uh, vote on which ships should be prioritized. Yeah, the only thing is, I do think that start the um, CIG because of Squadron Forty Two, we know they're holding a bunch of ships back that are yeah, dead. yeah. Right? We know that it's it's from years ago. There was releases of all the you know the. Uh, a bunch of the alien ships, the big monster ships, and everything else, uh, mm. and and I get it. They need something that really wows the world when it comes out to make more money. Mm. 
today it's Star Citizen, tomorrow it's you know Westworld, you know, you know that they'll be building, and they need to have something to wow everybody with their technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think it's a great idea. Um, I think that somewhere in between is probably the reality. Can we set a roadmap that says two of the backlog ships per quarter or something? Mm-hmm. Can, can we? Well, let's even let's say, can we make it so that the backlog will never be longer than one year? Right? If you sell it, we should see it within a year. I think they're you trying know, to get to that point. Right. Right. And I, I would love to see what that discussion is like. I do think that when Squadron Forty Two, actually, I would, I would love to hear this question answered. How much of an impact is Squadron Forty Two right now having on the production or the reduction of the backlog of ships? We always think it's taking a lot of resources. It may not be taking any of the ship designers. I think it I'd is. love to know that. I'd like I'd like to know that. Uh, is there an impact on how much? And then, um, what are the ways to make it um, faster? I, I wonder if the gold standard isn't part of the issue, though. You know, the bringing everything up to the gold standard because we yeah. don't know that we, we truly haven't <clears> seen <throat> a final ship. Like, I, and yeah. I, and I, like I've always said, like the Aurora and the Mustang should be the first two ships because they're the most common ships. They should be the first two ships that are the model of what everything is supposed to be in the end. It has every internal mechanism. It has every explosive type. It has swappable seats, all the stuff that you're supposed to be able to do because it's the most common ship. Well, the I think the reason the Gladius tends to be the gold standard test bed is Squadron. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I... While that might appease people who are frustrated that their ship hasn't come out yet, I don't right. know if it's feasible, right? The one-to-one ratio, right. going back to Travis' original question. Yeah. And the reason being, if you look, <clears throat> just some some of the few cues, right? They seem to be, some of the more straight-to-flyable stuff seems to be stuff that's easy to tackle. Right, either straight to flyable or um, or quick release. Right, like the Spirit, for instance. The Spirit is a ship that doesn't really require a ton of. It doesn't require a lot of new technology. Um, you know, it doesn't require a, a new design language. It's very much in line with things that have been built before, and so it's not that problematic of a ship when it comes to cranking it out quickly. And so when you think about the way that they release ships, there's team members allocated to things right now. We know for instance, big ship being worked on is the Banu merchantman man. That's taking more than one person's time. They probably don't have enough time to really factor in another large ship. So chances are, Knowing that the Banu Merchantman's being worked on, we're probably not going to see the Kraken anytime soon, right? Because the team that's working on that, or you know, members of other teams perhaps, but the the size 
a sizable team is working on the banding merchantman, which we already know is hyper complex compared to everything else because it's so different. Um, that's why you start to see things like the spirit where they don't need as many people on that ship. They can crank that out and it's an easy design language to replicate because all the components are already present in the star runner, the inferno, um, and you know, the, uh, Hercules. So, you know, they're just medium sized versions of those. That's why the cutter, you know, was able to be released straight to flyable. Um, that's why we keep getting variations on the ballista and the Atlas platform, because it's really easy to make that change without dedicating a lot of team resources because they are still finishing squadron to some degree. Um, now, where I think you'll start to see a shift in this is where we talked about before the Montreal team is building a ship team too, and they might be trying to help with the backlog, but that's why like, for instance, anyone who's like, I really hope we see the endeavor this year. No, you're not going to see the endeavor for a while because it's a very big ship and likelihood is they're going to use some of the design language developed for the larger hull series to build out upon to build out the endeavor. But because that has modularity, they probably want to fit figure out modularity first and be able to launch it with at least one or two modules so that you're not stuck with one version of the endeavor. Um, so, you know, that one has a lot more bottlenecks than other things. Um, you know, the Kraken, I would imagine at least for a larger ship, it'll probably be quicker to churn out than others because it seems like they have a more developed concept but it's just the the manpower. So perhaps when we have server meshing, at least, you know, static server meshing, but probably dynamic, you know, whenever we're able to man capital ships, they'll probably put more effort against that. And that's why I think like the Montreal team's probably an exciting addition because they'll, they'll probably be able to help. Right. It. It's funny. Cause you know, I, I really think the actual assembly of the ship, and does the artistic portion of it and the assembly of the physical model, I think that's probably not the hardest part. I think the hardest part is probably the animation of all the pieces. Yeah. Yeah, the, the tech setup. Correct. I think the artistic part um, certainly is difficult, right? Um, but I don't think it's probably as hard as like the audio mm. or the uh, special effects. Well, I think um, one of the one of the challenging things, though, if you think about it, for instance, even even lighting, when, lighting is another one. Lighting, yeah, being the sound and the audio and the lighting and all that, right? I think that's the hard stuff. Well, even there's two. There, so something that comes to mind to me when you think about complexity, right? Because there's the does it have an established style guide, right? right. So, for instance, Anvil has a very predictable style guide, essentially. Right. You know, hard lines, octagonal shapes, you know, mm-hmm. very utilitarian. You see similar look and feel between some of the um, ships. However, when you look at the concept of the um, <clears throat> of the Crucible, the repair ship, it does not look anything like an Anvil ship. Um, and 
It was designed without metrics in mind. A lot of ships got bigger. Chances are the Crucible will get bigger. Um, but it does not look like an Anvil ship whatsoever. Uh, correct. You know, we are welcome to correct me if I'm wrong, but at least, you know, it looks definitely in the vein. Actually, it almost looks like an RSI ship more so in my mind, right. except for the circular center. But, um, you know, it, it will be harder to make than the Liberator, which does have more of an am- anvil look and feel. And then that's on top of the fact that not only does it need to probably come in line with metrics and look more like an anvil ship, but then repair probably needs to be a mechanic that they're, they're very much fleshing out before they're going to in, in endure the effort to put that together. Because if they're going to do it, they might as well build it with the mechanics completely in mind. So, you know, that's a reason why something like that's even backlogged so far. You know, it was on the roadmap. I think, I don't even know if it is now. Uh, it might be the concept phase is, is on the roadmap to reconcept it. But, you know, that's that's just an example of, of why some of these things aren't moving the same way. It's just like, you know, I, I'm sure someday we'll start to see bigger alien ships like how the Banu Merchantman is, but it's a lot harder to extrapolate. Well, what does this style look like? You know, the Santaki eye is in essence, very similar to the, um, the other one, the, uh, the scout ship. I don't know why I can't think of it. Um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. The um, red one. <laughs> I hope, yeah. The red one. Yes. The, uh, cart, cart to all. Yeah. The Santaki eye is, not that dissimilar to the Cartwall. You know, it's different, but, you know, look-wise, and it's a smaller ship. So, you know, um, once they finish the Cartwall, they'll probably have a better sense of what they need to do to the Santaki Eye. I mean, the, once they finish the Santaki Eye, they probably need, will go back and think about ways they can improve the Cartwall um, to make it closer to gold standard. But, you know, it's just a matter of resourcing. Anyway, <laughs> that's my soapbox. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I got that. But this gave me a great question for today. Oh, I, I got to... Oh, man. Oh, I really want... You really want what? We already posted. We actually posted one today. So here's my thought. Maybe I'll post it for next week. But There you go. As we were talking about the ships. So I always wondered why. Like, we have a whole... Dra- we have a Drake um, whole... Or we have... I'm sorry a Drake Cutlass, right? Mm-hmm. We have a black, we have a red, we have a blue. Mm-hmm. There, there's certainly... And a steel. Merit and a steel. And actually, I have all of them right now. Um, so, uh, <coughs> and it's a great way to do something, right? Mm-hmm. They all have a similar interior footprint. Mm-hmm. But another way to approach that would say would be to say, we're going to build three competitive ships. We're going to build an RSI version of the Cutlass Black. Drake Cutlass Black and a Miss Cutlass Black. They'll have the same interior layout or footprint with a little bit of difference taken into account for the ship design philosophy. Maybe if it's a Crusader style, it'd have more round doors, mm-hmm. brighter colors, the different type of irising doors and mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But generally, you'll have two engines at the back. If you're in an RSI version of it, they're going to be more 
angular and swept back, maybe something along the lines of a, it might even look like something from the, um, what's the uh, ship that can drag you out of quantum space? Um, the uh, Mantis? The Mantis. You know, you can imagine a Mantis being kind of built with an interior of a RSI design, you know, uh, design highlights, but very competitive with the Cutlass Black. Same cargo, same number of crews, same turrets, just a different design on the outside. That's another way they could do things, right? So we're not getting three versions of the same ship. We're getting three ships at the same time, which all compete with each other, but have different designers. And I just think it would be interesting what people would think about that. Would they like to see that? And I think that would be cool. Yeah. I mean... You know, how many times do you look at a, you know, in the old days, it used to be the, you know, you had the Camaro and you mm-hmm. had the Firebird and they look remarkably the same. You know, you know, it would be, it would be interesting. You could do it in lore too with um, the UEE putting out like a, a contest for a certain type of civilian ship, almost like our ship contest. And have the same design brief for everyone and say you right. have to make it work within a certain layout. Right. I mean, they could, interesting they could, I mean, they could do the next contest could be, you know, something along the lines of we need three competitors to the freelancer or we need three competitors to the Drake Black or uh, the, the Drake Cutlass Black. Yeah. Um, but the same interior. You know, now you're going to put an RSI seat in it. You're going to RSI bed in it and the RSI branding on it. It's going to have the different lighting for an RSI. Actually, it would be the same lighting exactly, the same sound points exactly, but you would have different floor grates. Maybe it's more tiled versus the, you know, exposed version of the Drake. And maybe it's got paneling inside instead of the open structure and padding of a Drake. Um I think it would be an interesting thing to do. Mm. Um, and it would be a way for some people to bring in some really cool designs. Mm. Uh, and then you could say, well, yeah, I like the Drake Black because it's my favorite design. Knowing that the RSI one looks pretty cool, too. It's just not your style, but you're getting the same impact in the game as the as the Drake Black. The Cutlass Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting thought. Yeah, if anyone um, wants to talk about that or send any uh, points on that, feel free to throw that in there. If not, I'll just throw it in the questions for next week. Excellent. Um, and then we didn't really get a question per se, but it was a comment um, from Jay Cook, who, um, if you don't recall, a few weeks ago via voicemail asked a question about his uh, throttle setup. So he said, uh, Geeky and Seaguard, thanks for putting my voicemail delivered question on a few weeks ago. It was very helpful to hear how Seaguard has his throttle set up. He confirmed that I was thinking about uh, what I was thinking about doing with my own setup. And with his experience, his own experiences using it, that helped me to continue down the road and not worry about wasting a bunch of time just to find that it wasn't going to work. I need to make a huge shout out to Ventivar Gaming, and I'll explain why. As you already know, I bought the Thrustmaster Hodas, hand-on throttle and stick, and boy, are these controllers awesome. Thrustmaster has also has an application called Target, um, which is an acronym, to use. So I started with that. Holy crap, this just was not working for me. Some people have 
talked about how much they like it. And it is especially ver versatile if you use C plus or Py Python to add scripts. WTF question mark. No, that's not me. I'm 56. And yes, I, it was weird being the same age as old people. But <laughs> by the way, you don't sound 56, Jay. <laughs> uh, you have a young voice. <laughs> but, I've been, than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been playing video games my whole life, and I've been waiting for a space sim exactly like what Star Citizen is setting out to be. Plus, it seems like I picked a great time to start playing with all of the recent progress the game has made. I found this out by listening to the Citizen Cast podcast. Uh, yay! <laughs> so after... Yeah. Um, after failing with the Thrustmaster software, I went into the Star Citizen controller setup using the advanced controls customization portions of the options menu. I came to a point where the where the toggle switches weren't working the way I wanted them to. For instance, switching from on to off, off equals no signal input. So the game was not registering that off position. Ugh, now what do I do? I have this amazing hardware. I cannot figure out how to make it work the way that I want it to with Star Citizen. For one example of what I'm talking about, flip one toggle and fire the main system on the ship. Flip a second toggle and start the engines. Then after landing, flip the second toggle back, off, and nothing happens. Engines are still running. Maybe there is a way to overcome this, but I was not wrapping my head around any solution here. So then I found a video by Ventivar Gaming. It's a, I'll, I'll post the uh, the link in the show notes, but it's Ventivar. It Vento, Ventor, V-E-N-T-O-R-V-A-R? Uh-huh. Yeah, I just found it. I was yeah, just slash post slash joystick, joystick uh, dash intro. Um, so I'll, I'll post that. Uh, and the main subject of this video is what helped me get my controls working the way I want them to is Joystick Gremlin. There are two other applications that need to in be installed, VJoy and Hidhide. One of the main advantages with Joystick Gremlin is being able to map switches to the keyboard. This is what I needed, a user interface that makes sense to me. Then, oh, okay, so he's, instead now this application is essentially doing what happens with um, with uh, Game Glass, right? It's mapping right. not to... You're not mapping Correct. the. Uh, you're mapping it to the the controls that we already have. Um, Correct. Ventivar Gaming. That's how voice. That's how voice attack works. Yeah. Is you say a word, it recognizes the word and matches it to a keystroke, and then it sends that keystroke on your behalf, and then it plays a response back when it's done. Yeah. Uh, so he said, "This is He's what like I, a sound set." Yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, this is what I needed, a user interface that made sense to me. Ventivar Gaming also mapped out the functions for the joystick and throttle with each toggle button and hat switch, would, uh, what each toggle button and hat switch could control. That was the other problem that I was having. So there, I'm well on my way to building the space sim that I want. It was a lot of fun. Walking into my ship while being parked inside a huge space station, sitting down, firing up each individual system, slowly lifting off via the hat switch strafe up, then rolling the throttle forward. Pretty freaking awesome in my opinion. Keep up the great work. <laughs> I appreciate all the sites you guys know about and make reference to. This is going to be a fun adventure. That's amazing to hear, Jay. Congrats on figuring yeah. it out. And thanks for yeah. uh, giving that back so that we can 
let others know about it. Um, So I'll include that Ventivar link in the show notes so that anyone who's interested in learning more can find it. Um, Two other words of advice here. Yeah, go right ahead. Just two other other words of advice for you. One, hide your freaking checkbook and credit card. (laughs) That's a good idea. (laughs) Don't get sucked in. That's right. Number two, come to the parlay house. (laughs) We have lots of ships. We have more capital (laughs) ships than we have players. (laughs) Um, It's like parlay house. Parlay house is like Arby's, except instead of we've got the meats, we've got the ships. (laughs) (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. What am I going to do with my third Ursa Rover? I don't know. Put it with the other two. Where? I don't know. (laughs) You know, I am still waiting for the day that we could get that red Ursa Rover or paint Uh, for Ursa Rover so that it looks like that red one that we saw at Citizen Con many moons ago now. I I want the panel van version of it with the fake wood sides like you used to have the (laughs) mill station wood. And I want a, a snowboard or ski rack on top so you can, like surfboards, you can go out on the sand dunes and surf. You can replace the turret with it. <laughs> Play the Beach Boys. <laughs> um, excellent. Any uh, closing thoughts, Mister Seagard? No, no. I, I think that was great. I'm glad it helped, and uh, yeah, it, it is what it is. And I, I have a lot of joysticks. I, I do, but most of them are on my flight sim. I just use the X52 or the X X52, which. No one liked for some reason. Mine lasted perfectly for eight years, and they're still workable. Uh, they're getting a little bit loose and a little creaky, so I took them down. Uh, this first choice of Hotas I'd ever been purchased, uh, my family bought it for me, so it worked fantastic. Maybe it's a family love that was involved there. Um, and I replaced it with that X56, um, and it's took me a while to get to like it. But now I'm starting to like it. It's not a. It's okay for combat, but it's not going to be like a thrust master. I mean, um, but if you're like a cargo pilot, lots of buttons, lots of things for mining. You can do a lot of stuff with that type of joystick. You don't need to turn and burn and bank and you know in a uh, reclaimer or something. You need precision and you need buttons. So, I enjoyed that whole discussion. That was fun. Excellent. Well, uh, if you do have questions, comments, um, thoughts, feelings, concerns, uh, anything, you can email us at, at citizencastsc at gmail.com. You can always DM our Twitter handle, um, at citizencastsc. I do occasionally post on that and react to things. I also post all the episodes there now that I've figured out how to auto-do that. <laughs> um, right. You, I also did to our Discord as well. Uh, you could submit a message through our Anchor, um, a voice message through Anchor. You can join CitizenCast Discord. Lots of uh, stuff going on there, um, including I added that new tab for anyone who's creating content who wants to get discovered. So definitely, uh, if you're creating content and we haven't mentioned you in the show, feel free, feel free to throw your stuff in that uh, channel. Um, and of course... You can text us or leave a voicemail at our Google Voice number, 646-783-8154. And, of course, as we always talk about, um, if you are looking for a group or 
org or people to play with, take a look at Parlay House. It is a community, not an org. It's a group of people of all different types within the game, uh, you know, playing together in a neutral space and having fun. Um, it's a great place to socialize, hang out, and enjoy the best damn space sim the verse has to offer. Links are found in the Discord below. Um, if you are an altruist, we've got friends of the show in an org called Slip Slipstream, which is, I think, where we've apparently lost checkoff to lately. Um, uh, they are a uh, essentially a do-gooder org focused on helping people in the game, whether it's um, you know health and rescue, or, or I guess search and rescue, I should say, or um, other things to guide people through their experience. And uh, speaking of content creators, we have some friends of the show who create some amazing content. We've got Earth, Snorkel, and Undead Parrot uh, creating videos on YouTube. Um, we've got Admiral Cody and Calibri who wrote most of the music for this show as well as other music inspired by Star Citizen uh, who have their album online. And of course, Star Jump uh, has not just their fleet viewer, um, but also friends of the show, Glim and Glim, Grim. And I haven't drank tonight either, by the way. Um, <laughs> Grim and VMZO and No Gummy. I'm completely sober, which is, isn't that bad? It seems like the drinking that's, actually that's helps with my rare. I know. That's pretty rare. That's because I have a cold. Um, but <laughs> friends of the show, Grim and VMZO, um, also have their own. Um, series that they they twitch stream as well as you can find it on youtube talking about all sorts of things in the game usually highly specified topics a lot of stuff around building fleets and stuff like that they they show off their their fleet viewer tool uh, quite well on some of those episodes as well um and that dear friends wraps up another episode of citizen cast thanks for listening fellow citizens and we'll uh talk to you next week hopefully with 3.18 out Right. I can only hope. I'm going around this weekend if it is. <laughs> I am. I am definitely looking forward. If not, I'm going to be playing on the flight sims. And uh, yeah, I uh, I really want to see. Uh, they came out with another patch today, so uh, I hadn't I haven't gone in. I finished work and had to go pick up the wife after a little get together with the girls and. Um, <laughs> and eight and then came right in here and started this with you okay. yeah look at that how lucky i am it, no, no, no. it's my therapy <laughs> this is my therapy i actually didn't eat because i had this giant banh mi for lunch it was amazing oh. amazing <laughs> but uh yeah. i'm gonna probably i have some cheap ramen but i have ingredients to like zhuzh it up so I'm going to have some zhuzhed up ramen after this. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yes, some Italian tofu. I did the uh, Chick-fil-A spicy chicken sandwich meal mm. for dinner. And then for lunch, I did the Lebanese, uh, Lebanese bologna uh, salami and uh, cheddar cheese with mustard on it. Yeah. Low 